Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Direct Xbox number five. Got the usual with me here. Nate the Hate joining me for actually quite an interesting show because we have a lot of internal leaked documents from Microsoft to go over that could show us the maybe the future, but also the, the near future with some maybe new hardware coming up next year. We got Xbox Tokyo Game Show to recap. Lies of P is out on Game Pass. We've played it. We'll discuss it. And then Payday 3. We attempted to play it with varying results, but I also wanted to maybe mention how this could impact some of uh, Game Pass and how it's viewed in the public after what was a, I would say, disastrous launch for Payday 3. So without further ado, Nate, how are we doing over there tonight? Doing well. Nice rainy night, but I am quite shocked that you did not bring up another Game Pass arrival that we have been playing over the last few days, and that's Party Animals. Party Animals. That's part, you know, that is that is actually part of the Tokyo Game Show thing, so maybe we can pause while we while we go through that to discuss it for a moment. We have first-hand knowledge of Party Animals. That's right. We have the crackhead duck and the pissed-off husky and the gorilla and the happy corgi, and it's the game i'm just trying to figure out how many xbox podcasts out there are talking party animals like us hmm? probably at least one other i think so oh, okay i i feel like i at feel like one. even we were like what is this and then we get into it and then it was then it ended up being better than we thought well we can we can get into that though uh, as as we go along but this is direct xbox the xbox podcast for the spawncast network which you can go become a part of over on spawncastnetwork.com i want to give a, a shout out to some of the executive producers over on the network. That's John O, Joshua Butts, and William Hogue. A big shout out for their support over there. And of course, everyone else who is supporting us on the Spawncast Network, making these shows possible. We have a, actually a number of things coming up too. We, we've thought about doing Party Animals as like kind of a fun gameplay one. Uh, I think that could be a good time. So maybe maybe we'll, we will have to do, to do that. But let's... Let's uh, let's should we just jump into some of these leaked documents, Nate, as we start things off here? Yeah, let's go into all those leaked documents that potentially blueprinted the future of Xbox and maybe some near future reveals and releases. So let's set this up because this was a weird situation. Uh, the FTC, of course, and Microsoft upload documents. I mean, it feels like every like week or two we're hearing that some emails were found or just something that they've put up there updated different verbiage at times off the alter and change uh, like terms and stuff. But in this case, they uploaded a bunch of redacted files that were pretty standard, nothing too weird. However, uh, eventually someone figured out that the last, one of the last documents they uploaded had a number of attachments that could be read in Adobe reader. And once they did that, they opened it, they started to realize, oh, none of this is redacted and it's all internal plans for like, like from 2020 is when a lot of this stuff was dated, maybe early 2021, but it was targeting all the way up through 2030 with some of these roadmaps and uh, some interesting stuff. I think what we'll do is we'll go over the revisions that they have targeted and then their next generation, we'll call it system for now. So, Nate, you have some of those slides in front of you. Yes. Brooklyn. Yep. Xbox Brooklyn. Series X refresh. This is an interesting proposition. And if it does come to market, I'm really curious how Microsoft approaches this marketing around this specific product. Because when you're looking at the slide, 
it definitely has some nice benefits. Wi-Fi 6, more energy efficient. But then it also makes note of how it is the full-on replacement for the current Series X, which, as we know, does allow for physical media. And this would be a digital-only Series X. But it would also be coming in at $500, but have a 2 terabyte, you know, SSD. But I'm curious how Microsoft would really approach this in terms of marketing when you're going to come out and say, we're getting rid of our right now our only SKU that has physical media as an option and replacing it with a digital only solution because I'm not too sure how the general base would receive such a product right now. Hey, it's the most powerful Xbox ever now adorably all digital. That tagline is really something (laughs) I'm trying to figure this one. Like there had to have been a number of other uh, descriptive words up on the whiteboard. And it's very odd to me that they erased everything, but adorably at the end. Well, I mean, come on. It's kind of cute looking, isn't it? It's this nice tall Pe- tower. People are looking at this and they all come up with different <laughs> things to compare it to. I Alexa did come to mind as soon as I saw it. I will admit that one. Yeah, Alexa or Sonos speaker. Yeah, so th- they say Brooklyn will deliver 4K <laughs> Gen 9 console gaming with more internal storage, faster Wi-Fi, reduced power, and more immersive controller. And they, they say it's a beautiful redesign. Uh, it's, um, it's curved. Yeah, it's curved. You know, as they say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And this generation certainly has not been the most beautiful thing from an aesthetic standpoint. But it definitely does. It looks smaller than the current Series X because you are going to a more spherical type of design compared to the long rectangular shape that we have. So maybe it would fit a little better in certain entertainment. Can we put it on our side? It's side. I mean, it's a... It's a sphere, so wouldn't it roll? Maybe maybe they have a stand that you put with it. We don't know. We don't know if there's a stand. Maybe there is. Then it would really, really look like a speaker at that point. It'd look kind of like a log then, if it's on its side and like in the in the stand, kind of like a fireplace log. Then I hope it has some LEDs on the <laughs> upper half of it and it shines some lights. Just give me that full exposure and entertainment feel as i'm playing my game i get a little bit of led action and really immerse myself in the world of the game that i'm playing give me a little bit of color and vibrancy i hope they go that route then yeah they are removing the disk drive though that seems like a big deal like a really big deal because they have outlined ways that they will discontinue the current series s which isn't as big of a deal because that doesn't have a disk drive but also this current series x that I'm sure many of us have right now. And it it does make me wonder about Microsoft's view of of physical media. If they go, if next year, because they, they even outline the timetable for this thing with it launching. I mean, they have it launching right at the end of October, beginning of November. Uh, I mean, um, hmm. at, at that point, are they thinking, well, that's we're going to start phasing out or moving away from these physical discs that they didn't really ship in the first place because, I mean, MVG did a whole series showing that the discs didn't have the games on there. They had to smart delivery download right. them. Mm-hmm. And if we view some of Microsoft's own first-party efforts, be it Pentiment and Hi-Fi Rush, they haven't come to the retail market. They remain digital only. So Microsoft's focus has definitely been trying to pivot into that more digital-only ecosystem, largely fueled by Game Pass. But I, as the consumer, still want that option to be able to play physical media on my hardware of choice. 
So if Microsoft truly goes just digital only moving forward, and as you said, this hardware will be introduced next year, so 2024, I just has to bring me a bit of pause as the consumer. And I wonder what type of market research that Microsoft has done where they feel as though they could introduce this, phase out the current Series X, and face no repercussions from the general populace because people are shifting to digital, but there's still a sizable percentage of people who want that option of being able to go to the store on Black Friday or any time of year and buy a physical version of a game, regardless of if the majority of the game has to be downloaded. It's just the idea of having physical ownership that certain people do enjoy. It just feels a bit of security that you have that disc in hand even if the disc is largely just a license and nothing is on it. Oh, you just made me realize how boring Christmas mornings could potentially be in 10 years where you don't you don't wrap games to put under the tree anymore. You you just wrap gift cards to the stores. Yeah, or your parents, I guess, they're buying you the system and they're downloading a bunch of games uh, on it. So when that's they boring. open up the system and you plug it in, you see, you know, you're greeted with this wall of games. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We're old. We remember getting that excitement of you opened a gift. And it was, wow, you got a brand new video game. Oh, it was great. That is now a relic of the past. Oh. Because digital has, digital, I can't say has taken over. It is slowly taking over. It's becoming more commonplace, largely due to convenience. But if you're a PC gamer, you've been going digital only now for what? 15 yeah, plus it's been years? A, it's been a while, yeah. Yeah, I bought, I bought Grand Theft Auto Five on the PC a couple weeks ago when I did a video showing it and I took a picture of it, put it on Twitter and it's, it's seven discs you have to install. How long did that take? I didn't install it yet. <laughs> I thought about <laughs> it's it. So but long. It, it's taken a week. It's going to take a while because it has to read the entire CD and then you keep changing or DVD and then you got to keep changing them out. Cause it has to like install and unpack yep. each one. Uh, it, it reminds <laughs> me that I mean, we've had that before in the old days with like even installing OSs and stuff like that. But it, that's the thing that got me just now. I just realized you won't be wrapping those games anymore. I mean, Nintendo will still do it next gen, but I honestly, I believe this is it. I think we're in the last generation for physical media, for physical discs, and we don't I don't think everyone realizes it yet. I think some are beginning to accept that reality. Like my bigger wonder would be if Microsoft truly goes this route and they introduce the digital only Series X next year, and we can assume that it's going to launch around the same time as the rumored PlayStation 5 Pro, mm -hmm. which right now we don't know the you know specs of if whether or not it's going to be digital only. Will it use the rumored add-on disk drive? But let's assume that it is compatible with that add-on disk drive. Sony is at least giving their customers the option of being able to do digital only or doing physical media, if, whereas Microsoft is potentially now stripping physical media away as even an option unless you have already adopted and purchased the current Series X. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't it feel as though from the view of the consumer that Sony is in a more advantageous position because they are allowing you two choices, whereas Microsoft is stripping choice from you? and largely pushing you in the direction of subscribing to Game Pass and just going purely into that digital ecosystem. I think it makes more sense for Sony to do it, though, because they, they have a hand in Blu-ray, and they try to sell their TVs, entertainment centers, all these different things that would require the ultra-high-def Blu-ray player to be at the center of it, which could also be your PS5. Right. So mm -hmm. they, they kind of... But I will say some... Some places are just are stop. They're not stocking Blu-rays anymore. There are a couple. I remember seeing. Uh, I think it was in maybe in Australia. There was a like there are just no more releases on Blu-ray. They're just it's going to streaming or it's going to digital only platforms. Mm, I mean, 
it's definitely going to be a curious move by Microsoft if there is no physical option. Because ideally, you would hope that they would introduce a Series X that, let's say, has the same design as the leak implies that would at least have physical media as that option. And let's say it's $100 more due to the two terabyte SSD increase. But it's just about options. And I'll always fight for consumers to have options when it comes to a product. But for Microsoft to really take away the current Series X and go just digital only across both their brands, it's I feel as though it's a risky move that you are potentially upsetting a certain percentage of the current gaming community, even though we are, once again, shifting towards that digital platform. But people still like to have that option. So how many people are potentially going to view this product and say, I'm not going to buy this, even though I have been wanting an Xbox and for whatever reason, I haven't bought into the system yet. But now that I can't purchase physical media, I'm just going to go with PlayStation because Sony does have the first party games. They're going to have all the third party games that Microsoft also has. And up to this point, Microsoft really hasn't been delivering high quality first party games to get people to you know, invest in the current Xbox ecosystem. Like, yes, the games are coming. We saw a nice outline of that back in June. Starfield just came out. Forza's just around the corner. And then we have Avowed and Hellblade 2. And ideally, those games will be out before this revision hits the market. So, you know, people can have that option of buying the current Series X. But I do feel as though there is a little inherent risk by introducing an entire line of products that are purely digital only and not giving the consumer that physical option at all. Well, what if uh, we see more and more third parties just say, I'm going digital only like Alan Wake 2? And even they start kind of pushing Mm -hmm. in that direction. I mean, I think that is going to be a direction we see from third parties moving into the coming years, not in the immediate, so not in the immediate one or two years, but as this generation comes to an end and at the advent of the upcoming next generation, I think a lot of third parties are going to push digital even harder because you can look at EA where they put Dead Space earlier this year as a digital release and they relied on limited run games to do the retail copy of it. And when you view that, that's kind of a curious decision. Because it's not as though EA is a small indie studio who couldn't have printed and distributed these copies themselves. So to go out and contract limited run games to handle it kind of implies that they viewed the game and said, we're not viewing it as that important of a release to us that we want to push it as a physical release. We want those digital sales. And third parties, be it publishers and developers, you want to go digital because you get a larger percentage of that sale cost. Because now there's no middleman, there's no store, there's no shipping. You don't have to worry about disc licenses. It's purely, it's on the digital storefront. You sell it, Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, take their percentage, be it 20, 30%, and the rest is going to the publisher. So that's definitely something that a lot of companies are going to be pivoting to in the next five years or so. And as we saw on Twitter earlier this year, when God of War and some Sony games were leaking due to street date breaks, they don't have to worry about that type of stuff now because the game's strictly going to be on a server. There are no physical copy sitting in warehouses being stolen and then being data mined and dumped online for piracy. So you remove all that. Of course, a publisher wants to shift to a digital distribution model exclusively as soon as possible. It's just a question of, is the community ready to really embrace a full-on digital gaming ecosystem? Yeah, I, I still think that's one of the reasons they do this revision now, as opposed to trying to force it when the next generation starts, I kind of look at this as if they go, let's say they go this route as a way to 
kind of ease the whole idea in to the to the marketplace. It's like, okay, well, there technically you can find a Series X out there. It's used or or what have you, but mm-hmm. this is the new one, and we're gonna do all this stuff to it to make it better with you know Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, extra storage, what have you, and maybe they just eventually get to the point where people just kind of accept it more and more and more. And then by the time we get to the next generation and there is no disk drive on either system, it's like, well, I mean, I've already, I'm already there anyway. I don't really buy physical games anymore. And I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely people out there who have a hundred percent shifted to digital only. They like it for the convenience. They like how quick it is. They like being able to have instant access to hundreds, if not thousands of games. It's just that percentage of people who still, you want that physical ownership. So I do wonder, and we've kind of been here before. We saw Sony do something similar with the PlayStation Portable Go, where they went digital only with that. So we have kind of been, I guess, introduced to this idea several times over the last 10 years or more. And we have the Series S. We have PlayStation digital only. So that direction is coming. I guess it's just a matter of when is it going to be embraced by the vast majority of gamers? And are we at that threshold yet? Because right now, yes, we see digital sales far surpass what physical sales are in most markets. But I mean, if given the choice moving into next gen, what would you rather have in front of you? A physical option piece of hardware where you can still download games digitally or be left with strictly a digital only platform? See, first they took the manuals away. That was the first step. Okay, not more <laughs> manuals anymore. No one ever asks either. No one ever questions it. They just, they just go, oh, yeah, okay, that's right. There are no more manuals in here. And now, and then they started cutting the holes in the plastic for, mm-hmm. quote, unquote, uh, green, going green. And now they're just taking it all away. And yep. that's just how it, well, I guess technically, like, Call of Duty shipped on a Blu-ray, but it was 70 megabytes or something. So that's, like, the next step, I guess. Uh, yeah i mean i guess that's the route they could take where you're still you're still shipping the games i mean we're already in that situation where they're shipping games with nothing on it yeah but people still like being able to go into the store and buying it and i think a large percentage still like be able to sell the games once they're done that's with true it. and that's true digitally you cannot do that so unless microsoft is able to come up a way or any company is able to come up with a way that you can resell your digital purchases for let's say 40 percent of the full price I do wonder if there's going to be resistance to this digital only Series X being the only Series X option on the market come late 2024. I think that's something they should figure out how there can actually be like an, almost a an e-commerce thing around the digital games that you have in your library. It just it it is very odd because there is a lot like they get a gain a, a ton of control when it's all digital. Like they're the consumer has very little at that point. Mm-hmm. But this, they have this marked down as an announcement right at the end of their fiscal year. So this would be beginning of July 2024 is when the announcement would be made for both of these systems. But there is another thing that was part of these slides, more hardware. They did have the Elliewood or Elwood. That's just the Series S improvement or upgrade which falls more in line with the idea okay yeah we already know it's digital all digital and then they also have one terabyte of storage and the upgraded wi-fi they're going to shrink the fabrication all of these things that's gonna be 300 though so that's not too bad actually at, at that uh, but then the controller that comes with it 
I don't know. I, I think that it's a Sebel or Sebel. I don't really know how to pronounce it. S-E-B-I-L-E. I'm going to say Sebel from now on. It's a new Xbox controller. And interestingly enough, they would launch this in May of next year is how they have it marked down. And this is a significant upgrade from what I can tell over their current controller. They have they have Bluetooth 5.2, but precision haptic feedback, VCA haptics double as speakers, accelerometer, quiet quieter buttons and, and thumbsticks. That that's the haptic feedback that's currently in the PS5 controller and the Switch controller. Yeah, I mean this on paper it sounds like a really nice upgrade for the controller. And given that the slide says that it's going to come in at a price point of $69.99, it kind of makes you wonder why we're being charged so highly on the current controllers that lack all of these features and would be at a similar price point. But I think what's disappointing is that you're going to introduce this particular controller so late into the console generation that a lot of games won't be able to implement this functionality. Like as we talked about in our Forza preview, we talked about how the haptic feedback would go a long way in being able to really immerse yourself when you're racing and you're feeling, you know, the road or the gravel when you go off road with it. And now we're not going, we could get that potentially in a future release, like a Forza Horizon 6 or so, but how many games are really going to utilize all these extra features that the controller is going to introduce when it comes to market next year? But I do like that Microsoft is willing to look at the current you know, gaming environment and say, hey, these controllers have implemented these new features. They have been generally well-received. So maybe we should do something similar with a new controller refresh. So I like the idea that Microsoft is willing to evolve the controller, especially after they had launched the controller on these current systems and basically just refined what the Xbox One had, added some grip texture to the back of the controller and made it a little more comfortable. Because right now the Series X controller is fantastic. Great battery life. It serves its purpose, but by including things like gyro and, you know, the haptic feedback, you can definitely go a lot further with the implementation of these features in games. So I definitely applaud them for bringing such a revision to market, though there is one question. Will that controller be compatible with our current Xbox Series S and Series X? I have to assume it will be because I'm looking at the, again, the release of it. It comes out before the new systems come out. So it'd be very weird for them to release this and it not work on the current system. So I, I feel like we're safe there, but honestly, who knows, because they are changing the Southbridge out in these systems. And I feel like that's to accommodate the Wi-Fi, the Bluetooth, and maybe this new protocol, because it is using Xbox Wireless 2 It's uh, and direct to cloud. So this controller should be able to just connect to your router, similar to Stadia, and connect or, or contact the data centers and all of that connect seamlessly and you could go between displays but really it'll it'll bypass a system so that the latency should be lower and you would only need to buy this controller no system or anything yeah i mean that would definitely be welcome so definitely some questions around it and you know i guess we'll find out when they do formally announce the controller and all its compatibility and all its features within what are we looking at about six months until release eight months till release yeah they have it marked to launch they even say it just says sebel launch 
end of May, beginning of June is where they have the little bar graph thing. So it's they just say Sebel announce in Q4 of fiscal year 24, which means that would be three months before June. Well, June, May. Okay, it'd be April, May, or June somewhere in there, and then it'll like they're probably gonna announce it, and it comes out a month and a half, two months later. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be a quick yeah. launch. I mean, Microsoft has certainly not been shy about releasing controllers this generation. I feel as though every other week we're getting a new color scheme and, you know, a new controller of some sort. So, yeah, I like the idea on paper that this controller can present. It's just going to be a question of are we going to see these features implemented in first party and third party games? Because when a feature isn't an industry standard, we kind of see it fall by the wayside. And you can even look at some PlayStation 5 releases that really don't utilize all of the functionality that the DualSense has to it and that's just because they're not industry standards now with microsoft bringing this controller to market next year haptics and and even gyro will be considered industry standard so feasibly we could be able to play you know resident evil 4 with gyro aiming as a secondary option now on the xbox and if it wasn't a feature on the PlayStation 5, there's reason now to include it because you could put it across all three platforms. I'm just conf- this, these are from these slides are from 2020 as we were talking about is the is the estimated time frame for when these were being shown around. It's it's weird to me that they launched this the Series X and they're like, oh wait, yeah, we should have worked on a controller for this thing. Like that we should have done half it. It this to me feels like the controller they should have launched with the series. It's it's odd that they decided to go three or four years into the generation before they release it. Yeah. I do remember Phil Spencer had come out around the time of the PlayStation five and series X launch. And he acknowledged that the dual sense was doing some very interesting things and that they were willing to listen and see if that their fan base would have any interest in things like haptics and gyro. So I guess this would have been a result of listening to the community where they were expressing desire for the xbox controller to evolve and implement some of these new features but it does seem as though it took kind of a long time for it to actually come to market i don't feel as though it would have required four years of testing and prototyping to implement such features at this point so if this was something that they were having discussions and planning back in 2020 it does maybe you have to consider that it should have been something that they had launched with but being able to listen to the community again and you know, do a full-on controller revision this late into a generation, I think is something Microsoft should be applauded for because they are recognizing some of their mistakes of the past and looking to rectify it in, even if it is a minimal way. I'm going to say two things I like about this controller and then one thing I don't like and they need to change, okay? So the two things I like, rechargeable and swappable battery, that sounds like what 8-Bit Doe does, where you're going to have a battery pack inside of it, but you can remove it, and it'll still have the terminals for the AA batteries. Like, that that would make this the best option across all three brands, then, uh, kind of having the best mm-hmm. of both worlds. I, I like that idea. That's, that's really good. Uh, and I also like Lift to Wake. I assume that's going to use the gyro accelerometer to where you pick your controller up, your controller turns on and then it also turns your system on. So in that case, because we're using these systems that are very fast to wake up, by the time you pick up your controller and maybe sit down, your system will already be on. That's kind of a, I think that's a good idea. You say that now until your kid picks up oh, the controller gonna, just randomly in your Xbox the and they don't do, 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 oh, They already do, do that. Do. Like one kid can pick it up, press the button and turns <laughs> it on. It happens all the time. Um, I don't like the glossy plastic. No, that's terrible. It's just going to be fingerprint 
heaven. Yes, yeah, it's it's it's, it's destroyed. Like he's gonna get scratched up. I feel like we we went through the generation of glossy plastic, and I feel like most of us learned it was not a good idea. Yeah, I think that's one thing that the whole gaming community kind of rallied behind and said, we don't want this. And companies listened at that time. And if we're returning to that, no, oh my Microsoft, gosh, remember the Wii, the, Wii, the Wii U Pro Controller is all glossy and, oh, gosh. Yeah, it got pretty disgusting <laughs> after a while. Yeah, I, I think but. we're good on the glossy systems. Don't need it. The Xbox 360 Slim, the Xbox One, those things are all glossy and got destroyed. We don't we don't need that. Not on a controller, especially. You're going to be touching that all the time. That seems strange. Yeah, definitely not on a controller. So hopefully that's one of those things that maybe was just for the presentation's sake and in mm. the slide and has been something that they have done a little bit of, you know, focus group testing and they've looked at it and said, okay, we gave it to the hands of about six people and it looks gross. Let's go back to a nice matte finish. I will say this. I'm here to help Microsoft, okay? If it is glossy and that's the final plan, it looks like it's a piece that can come off. Uh, just saying, Microsoft, uh, face plates for controllers. Just saying. <laughs> well, they do have jackets. Oh, well, I mean, you gotta buy hoodies and like back to school shopping for our controllers. Just give us pieces of plastic we just put on there like, like you know, like real gamers. <laughs> it's a nice, uh, nice I, Cheeto. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just saying that, that seems, that'd be kind of cool to have like uh, face plates for your controller and it's just that one piece that comes off and you, and you drop the new one on. That'd be cool. Uh, all right. Well, we also had next generation information, and this is very, very tentative stuff because it is they are planning this out in 2020 and they are targeting 2028. So when you hear people say these companies, as soon as they finish one system, they start planning the next one. They are not joking. Uh, and this is proof yeah this is proof and this is also proof that plans change because what we see in these slides may not come to market in 2028 or when microsoft officially announces these products in 2027 well big shout out to whoever wrote this slide because they made it very easy under our vision develop a next generation hybrid game platform capable of leveraging the combined power of the client and cloud to deliver deeper immersion and entirely new classes of game experiences optimized for real-time gameplay and creators we will enable new levels of performance beyond the capabilities of the client hardware alone also known as the power of the cloud next gen is the cloud i feel like we've been here before haven't we been here before yeah well hey crackdown was it was crackdown it it was crackdown you're right crackdown was crackdown. So that's that. It, as as of 2020, their thought process was: we've released our last dedicated box in the sense that it won't be leveraging our servers to for compute. So this this is this is interesting because it does play it does kind of play into that revision that they have lined up to start pushing people towards just digital. Because I don't see a a future where they leverage cloud compute and all this tied into your game but then you also buy game discs at, at the store yeah you definitely say these two are interlinked and i'm really curious how microsoft is able to implement the cloud in a meaningful way that's going to really differentiate themselves from what sony will do with their next gen platform because we've seen microsoft go this route before hmm. as mentioned with the xbox one they did this with crackdown 3 we also see it now with flight simulator 
And I'm not sure if you'd really have anyone who would come out and say, yeah, that use of the cloud for processing has really been a game changer. So for Microsoft to really commit to it as essentially that a game changer going into their next generation hardware, ideally they have been testing this for the last several years and they feel as though they are at a point that this is going to provide and yield meaningful dividends. But right now, based on these slides alone, there's really nothing there to suggest that that has been the case, nor is there anything to suggest that that hasn't been the case. So right now we're still largely operating in the dark because all we have is a blueprint and some preliminary conceptual ideas that they're expressing in which they hope to achieve going into their next generation hardware. Well, the thing that's interesting is they do have under silicone, that silicon, they have it as Q1 calendar year 23 to make the decision, which we've passed that. So they, they've decided on things like ARM versus uh, like if they want to go with their X8, X64, X86 stuff for Zen with AMD. Uh, are, are they co-designing the GPU with AMD? Like all this stuff, the deadlines have come and gone for decision making. So mm-hmm. things definitely could have well, changed. Right. I mean, that's the thing. That could have been the original deadline back in 2020. Now, has that deadline since been delayed? Yeah. Is the decision still going through? Like, we don't know because we can only operate on the information that has leaked. So right now, I kind of view all of these deadline dates as really, as nothing concrete. I think those were their plans at the time, but this is exceptionally old and outdated information. So we can't treat it as anything too firm or set in stone at the moment. So right now, I view that date as that's what they were originally targeting, but it's very unlikely that that deadline has come and gone and they made a final decision. I still think that they are discussing things internally and they'll make a decision. Maybe it's a year later. So we're talking, you know, in the next six to eight months, if things are only delayed by a year. But I think things are still in flux and decisions are still being made. Cloud hybrid games is the term that they have for this, by the way, to where the cloud will do computations that your system would not necessarily be capable of doing in real time. And I'm looking at that and that I'm looking at the huge, huge push for AI right now, which Microsoft is directly in the middle of. And I I almost wonder if that's what they're thinking going into something like 2028 with a system launch or a, a platform launch with this cloud hybrid stuff, if they would bring in advanced artificial intelligence into some of these games to maybe make the world feel more alive conversations with non-playable characters, events happening real-time weather that is as accurate as like the, as they can make it just a lot of possibilities with it. Mm-hmm. And you know what, Nate? I, you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of a developer right now, a studio, who I think is working on a game like this. Yes, it doesn't. This kind of fits what we know about Overdose from Hideo Kojima. Yeah, I was just I was as I'm going through these slides, I'm like, is this is this what Kojima's doing right now? Is he making a Power of the Cloud? Because <laughs> he said it. You mentioned it was a he was working on a Stadia game. Yes, he had been contacted by Google back when Stadia was still relevant to create a game that obviously didn't come to being. And it felt as though the game was far enough along that he began negotiations with other studios. And that is the project Microsoft saw. And that's the game that they ended up signing with Kojima to bring into reality. 
I'm trying to figure out what he came up with that Microsoft signed immediately for. I mean, it's Hideo Kojima. If he has an ambitious project and he's willing to bring it to your platform exclusively for, you know, an X amount of fee, you probably just sign and say, okay, we like that vision. We like the ambition. And as we know, Phil Spencer is visiting Koji Pro this coming week and it's going to get an update on this mysterious project. So ideally, we do get an update on the game sometime in the near future. I would be hopeful maybe we saw something at like the Game Awards later this year. Oh, but the game was only announced officially back in June of 2022. So it's still relatively fresh. And what do you think he was working on, though? Because it was a Stadia thing. I think he was working mm-hmm. on it before Stadia was even like officially unveiled to the public. Like he was getting all the stuff together for it in like the conceptual stage. Maybe in a conceptual stage, I would imagine that anything meaningful was done after Death Stranding 2 had finished its primary development. And then he began to flesh things out a little bit with Google and the Stadia version of the game before Stadia, before Stadia went defunct. So, so he probably had a nice vertical slice and uh, everything to show Microsoft where they could view it and say, yes, this is something that we have interest in. So my thing is, Kojima's done some weird stuff in the past, obviously unconventional things in games that have, I mean, done some, I mean, they've worked out for the most part. There was one bit of information where he mentioned with like the whole PT stuff that one of his ideas was to send you real life emails or text messages. Mm-hmm. I I mean, yeah. I, I, would, I mean, you're, he's going to be tapped into the cloud, <laughs> these data centers. I wonder if he tries to legitimately merge real life interaction with video games i mean it's it's kojima i wouldn't put anything by him and if he can deliver it in a meaningful way that really adds to that gameplay experience or just the overall experience that you're getting from that from that project i think it could become a reality so i mean right now we're really operating on very little about what the game is going to be the direction it's going to take all you really hold on to is that it's kojima It seems to be ambitious and whatever it was, was good enough for Microsoft to sit down and say, okay, we're going to make a game deal with you. Well, they also have a slide that talks more about the next generation stuff, basically planning things out, figuring out what they really need to work on, what's in the, what's in the works right now. And there was one thing I noticed for creator efficiency, which was AI game testing, which I assume means that they would be able to use their data centers and machine learning to basically quality assurance games. Yeah, that was my takeaway when I saw it on the slide. And, you know, I, it does feel as though that's a direction that the industry is going to take because that can be a relatively long process. And if you can speed that up, that's definitely something that these console manufacturers are going to begin to investigate in. And if the best means is AI to do it, then that's how they're going to. And it can also help that load where instead you have, you know, individuals working in the QA and having to go through just thousands of potential bugs. If AI can be complementary to them, that's also beneficial to those in that QA department. It's not taking away their jobs. It's helping them do their job more efficiently and better. Yeah, because we still see games come out all kinds of busted up. So if AI can like help the people who are doing QA and just have the game come out in a better state and they still mm-hmm. technically get credit for it. <laughs> yeah, or even it. if you use like AI to maybe go through it and it discovers the bug and it tells the QA person how to replicate the bug so that they can ensure that it is indeed something that can be reproduced, that helps the process a lot too than having the individual try it time and time and time again to replicate the bug so they can then you know 
put together their bug report to send back to the development team who then tries to replicate it so they can address it. So AI can be a great complementary tool here. I do want to also talk about, I mean, there's a few emails that Phil was sending around, but one that definitely caught the ire of the internet, I'll say, was a discussion about buying Nintendo. <laughs> And this is this was interesting because I mean I the subject it this is from Phil Spencer responding to there are two names Chris Capicella and Takashi Nomoto. It was at midnight I guess Phil's time, and the subject was just random thought all lowercase. And yeah, this in this email Phil responds to a person I guess who was like Yo, we should buy. Phil, we should buy Nintendo because <laughs> it seems like the first thing he says is, I totally agree that Nintendo is the prime asset for us in gaming. And today, gaming is our most likely path to consumer relevance. Go. Then he goes on to say, it's probably not possible for us to buy Nintendo, even though we technically have the means in terms of money. We can't necessarily make Nintendo sell <laughs> So that's yeah. he was kind of, it seemed like he was trying to be let down this person, I guess, who's doing acquisition research or something. Let them down a bit easy is kind of what, because then he's like, oh, but like we got ZeniMax and Warner Brothers. They're on the line. We're looking at them. I think that makes more sense for us. It kind of felt like he was trying to steer them in the right direction without being like, what are you? Mm -hmm. What are you, stupid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of one of those situations where. You just had someone like, hey, everyone, think out of the box, pitch some ideas. And someone came forward and said, what if we buy Nintendo? Be like, yeah, that would be awesome. But what you're saying is impractical. I love the enthusiasm. I love where your mind's at of let's buy the biggest Japanese game developer that there is that would really help us. But come on, man, be practical. We can't buy Nintendo. They're not for sale. We have no means of doing it. They have a huge war chest of cash. Their board of directors has no interest in selling, but as Phil notes, we have a very close relationship with them. And if the day ever did come that Nintendo maybe expressed interest in having a buyer, they could be in a favorable position to sit down and have good conversations of, could this happen? But yeah, I don't know why this got the attention that it did. And I don't know why there was so much outrage and reaction to it. This is just talking out loud. It's just a little internal pitch with no meaning or intent behind it. And people say, but you have to look at Microsoft. Look what they've bought over the years. This is still just a hypothetical of, hey, if the opportunity ever arose, we should buy Nintendo. And Phil's just saying, yeah, that would be great. If that ever happened, we would buy Nintendo. But that day is not coming. And in the off chance it does, we feel as though we're in a pretty good position that we could make a reasonable offer and have have productive conversations with that company. But let's think more practical. We're talking to ZeniMax. WB is a company that right now is presenting itself as a viable option. We still have to go through negotiations. Let's look at companies that actually have a realistic chance of us buying and acquiring. Nintendo would be a career moment. And people really clung to that line as well as they're like, wow, Phil, why don't you focus on things in your own house before you're looking for a career-defining moment. All he means is, if I was able to purchase Nintendo and bring it into the Xbox family, that would really define my career. Hey, because if I, I buy, if I buy Nintendo, Nintendo, that'll define my career too. 
Right. It, it would define any company <laughs> or any individual who's involved in those negotiations. Like if Sony bought Nintendo, if EA bought Nintendo, if Tencent, Apple, Disney, any of them, that would be a career moment because you bought the biggest game developer in the world. And that's all that comment meant. And people took it in such a weird direction and they took it personally, which was very shocking. What do you think about this last line, though, from from Phil? said at some point getting Nintendo would be a career moment and I honestly believe a good move for both companies it's just taking a long time for Nintendo to see that their future exists off of their own hardware a long time four dots and then an emoji smiley face sideways <laughs> well I mean look at the year this email was sent 2020 so at that time, Nintendo really wasn't embracing their IPs and they weren't really considering expanding themselves outside of just console and, you know, software publishing. So now you have Nintendo involved in movies. Mm. You had the Mario Brothers movie. They have a theme park. They're utilizing their IP in more meaningful ways beyond just their hardware. And if that's the direction that Nintendo is going to take, Phil's statement essentially boils down to being correct. Nintendo's expansion has to be utilizing their IPs in more meaningful ways outside of just gaming. So entertainment, theme parks, Lego collaborations, and things of that nature. Kind of what you see what Disney has done. And if that's the path Nintendo goes, that's where their future is. Their future is going to be recognizable beyond just video games. It's going to be being recognized as an entertainment powerhouse because they have the IPs, they have the mascots mm -hmm. to be recognized in all forms of entertainment medium. And I feel as though that is the direction Nintendo is going to take. They've also been dabbling a little more in the mobile sector, not as heavily as, you know, maybe 10 years ago where they felt as though they had no direction, but they are continuing to explore mobile. And I wouldn't be too surprised if Nintendo really embraces a mobile direction in a more meaningful way in the next couple of years as that complimentary service to the switch and those you know iconic ips like mario even pikmin has kind of grown in notoriety in the last few years but nintendo has a lot of reach outside of their own hardware if they begin to embrace how valuable and iconic their mascots really are i was looking around i didn't see an email that was leaked from takeshi the one that he was responding to i'd be curious just to see what what they said <laughs> about the whole yeah thing. kind of like like how did this really start was it just a passing sentence of hey uh you think we should buy nintendo one day be like yeah man of course but, come on. <laughs> i'm just i'm just curious how that's how that uh how that would have kicked kicked off that conversation yeah. But it was, I mean, this, that's that's like the biggest leak I think I've ever seen for a, a gaming company, specifically ones that would affect them now. Not like, for example, the Giga Leak for Nintendo, that was stuff from GameCube, Nintendo 64, Super, like stuff that's been passed. This is mm -hmm. stuff that's 10 years in the future or something. That's, that's wild. So I, yeah, that's history right there. Because now we kind of have this idea of the direction that Microsoft may be going in and some of some individuals have already taken that as, oh my God, what is Microsoft doing? If this is the direction they go in, this is very concerning. Others have taken more of that wait and see of how much of this was just preliminary internal discussion that still has to go through focus grouping and market research to see how viable the options really are. And even the implementation of cloud to really kind of subsidize the hardware going into next gen. How is that going to truly be utilized? Because if we do have a low-end console like the Series S equivalent, is it going to be using the cloud to give me visuals that are on par with the more premium Series X version 
of the next gen hardware, or are we still going to be getting, you know, lower assets and such? Because if you're utilizing the cloud in that way, you would think that would mean you'd be able to deliver visual fidelity across both platforms at parity level, but we don't know how this implementation is going to work. We really don't know much about any of it. We just see a few slides with some vague descriptors of a product that may or may not come to market in the way that it is outlined. Yeah. Let's uh, let, let's move over here. Let's talk about some some video games along with Tokyo Game Show. Because Tokyo Game Show was uh, <laughs> was interesting, I guess. Just the whole thing. I I feel like there were a couple standouts, but for the most part, it was kind of a I don't say a quiet, but more like by the by the book Tokyo Game Show with everything. A lot of updates on games we already know about. But for mm-hmm. Microsoft. They had their show. It was about 40 minutes long. And I can just kind of run down some of this stuff here. Forza Motorsport was shown again. They had Fallout 76, Atlantic City, Elder Scrolls Online. That's actually coming to Japan. It's fully localized, by the way. I I can't even imagine how much text and and and, and language, like all like audio, all the stuff that had to be localized for that. That seems ridiculous. <laughs> but they're doing it, and it's coming November. Here's an interesting one, Nate. Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trilogy. That's a Game Pass game for next year, along with Apollo Justice. I don't think that one's Game Pass, but that, those are both coming next year. That one, if you remember, did not sell well on the Xbox before, and and that's why they bypassed right. this originally. <laughs> so I assume Microsoft showed up with the bag and said, all right, well, let's make this happen. Yeah, it's definitely that they showed up with a little bit of money and said, okay, let's get this on there. And it's probably... One of those situations where Microsoft and Capcom have certainly been playing fairly well together when it comes to Game Pass. We had Exo Prime will come earlier this year. So this is probably just a situation of, you know, we'll give you a couple million dollars to throw that on there because we know you're going to have a new installment and we want to show you that we can get a base on our system that has interest in these games because, yeah, we have that sales evidence that it did not sell well previously on the platform so let's go let's try to build that base and if microsoft wants to use game pass and investments to just build up that idea that they can have these franchises on their platform it's a great investment to do because something like you know phoenix Wright and such it's not going to be that costly to them and it works in both favors for microsoft and capcom moving forward to really build that relationship and ideally get future installments on the platform outside of game pass deals so then we had althea that's coming soon it said iodin chronicle 100 heroes that's game pass for next year exo primal season two that's the street fighter crossover that is october 18th hotel barcelona it's a 2.5d slasher film parody that's from that's the one from suda and sweary i think working together that's 2024 yes. mm-hmm. uh infinity infinity strash Dragon Quest: The Adventure of Dai. That is that's this week. I am in, I'm a little interested in this one. I might check this out. Although I haven't played Dragon Quest, a Dragon Quest game in a while, and maybe that's why I'm like I just want something Dragon Quest because this three HD two D is taking forever at this point. Feels like so maybe I, maybe I'll check this one out. A little more action focused. And okay, so th- this was I feel like this was probably the big announcement of the show, and it was 
like a dragon. So we had the man who erased his name and Ishan. Those are both going to Game Pass. Uh, man who erased his name is out November 9th. And then Ishan is coming to Game Pass. It just said 2023. So we're just going to wait for, I, I assume Microsoft will do their Game Pass drop for new games and it'll just be in there uh-huh. in one of these updates. And then Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, that is coming out next year. Not, didn't say Game Pass, but it is coming January 26th. I mean, yeah, those are huge announcements, especially for Game Pass in 2023. And to have Like a Dragon day and date Game Pass come November is a fantastic get because we have seen Microsoft play very, very well with Sega and the Yakuza franchise or the like a Dragon franchise dating back to the Series X launch. Mm -hmm. So, and they've brought back, they had the Yakuza games on Game Pass that expired and then they brought them back to Game Pass a few months later. So they see value in this IP and, you know, Sega must be liking the offering that Microsoft presents every time they write a check to get these titles on Game Pass, but Microsoft must be seeing a largeable percentage of their fan base engaging with these games when they come to Game Pass and see huge playtime or just engagement in general. So this is a fantastic announcement. And, you know, I was looking forward to Like a Dragon coming out later this year. Now that's on Game Pass, my decision's even easier. I know where I'm going to play. It's going to be on Xbox as opposed to playing it on the PlayStation 5. And then it leads you into its you know successor the sequel for next year with eternal wealth and if microsoft has been able to cultivate a an engaged base on the xbox up to this point with the series i'd be very curious as to what type of sales we see with wealth come 2024 on the xbox it won't pass the playstation but you might see a percentage that's a little more favorable than you would have thought previously Let's see. Then we have Minico's Night Market. That is that's Game Pass in October. My Lovely Empress, Octopath Traveler Two. It didn't have the Game Pass logo next to it, but it is twenty twenty four. They could still make that announcement though. But it is interesting to think that Xbox has one and two, but for some reason PlayStation just still has two. Yeah, I would imagine Octopath Traveler One coming to PlayStation is just a matter of time at this point. And you know maybe that's just one of those little announcements that they announce at any given time but you would have kind of felt as though tokyo game show would have been a good time for square enix to reveal such a thing but i guess their focus right now is on final fantasy 7 remake rebirth but octopath traveler 2 coming to xbox isn't really that surprising the game the port over wouldn't have been all that costly but i think it not being on game pass is a surprise because octopath traveler 1 was a game pass release and the information was that it seemed as though microsoft may have paid for that version of the game to come to the Xbox. Now, this seems as though it was purely a Square Enix decision. And we've seen the reception the game had critically well-received, but commercially the sales yeah. hadn't been that strong and it had released on numerous platforms and it didn't even match what the Switch version had sold of the first game. So this could be a situation of Square's looking at their back catalog of games that haven't come to the Xbox and they're realizing let's try to get a few more sales off a port that's really not going to cost us all that much. And I'm sure there were some discussions of, hey, can we put this on Game Pass? Maybe the discussions are still happening. And Microsoft either has no interest in it, squaring X price is too high, or if the discussions are still going on, it could be something that we finalize entering in the early portion of 2024. But I think this is a really good get, especially when you consider the discussions that Microsoft and Square Enix had 
just about a month ago where they said, we're going to have a new strong relationship. And almost immediately, we have a new announcement from Square Enix of a game coming to the Xbox that previously was not announced for the platform. Let's see. We have Pal World. I think this was the one that was Pokemon with guns. That's next year. Persona 3 Reload, of course, Game Pass. That's next year. Persona 5 Tactica, Game Pass. That's in November. PUBG Battlegrounds is getting a new map in October. And then Wo Long is getting its Wave 2 for the DLC. That is happening this week. And we'll close up Tokyo Game Show here with a game that will also lead us into some of our other game discussions with Party Animals. Yes. <laughs> Party Animals is uh, it's getting an Ori collaboration, by the way. Oh, yeah, pretty cool, well, right? Yeah, I'm gonna have to play as Ori or Naru. Yep, both of the, they will both be there. But it's uh, Party Animals. I did not expect it to be what we played because when we first saw it, it was like eight gigabytes. I was like, let's download this thing. Let's just see what happens. And the game is much more fun than you would expect. I mean, it's a party game. Yeah, pure and simple, and it really delivers on the fun and the laughs because you're either put into those situations of your four v four or your 2v2v2v2. And depending on who your teammate is, if you're playing with friends, you never know what's going to happen. And as just that random pick up and play game, I mean, we've had a lot of fun with it. And had it not been on Game Pass, it's very unlikely we would have ever played Party Animals. So the idea, yes, it's a party game where they can split up into groups of two, or you can have, what, a group of, group of four, two, 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 two. And you're legitimately just these animals that are kind of weird to control. But most of the time, the idea is to knock the other person off of the map or complete some mundane sounding task. But it's harder because these animals are weird to control. So you have an ability to pick different things up <laughs> or pick each other up and you can just start swinging like you can just start taking closed fist shots at each other and you can headbutt each other. And when you catch somebody just right, it does that thing where it stops, like it just cuts out sound and it slows for a second. So it has that impact to it, which is fun. Uh, and then you can pick the person up, throw them, or you can pick up nunchucks and just start swinging them everywhere. And the the mode that we all seem to enjoy are the sports game, the sports modes. So there's like hockey, there's soccer, there's football. Uh, we usually just vote for those and play them because it is legitimately a good time just trying to drop kick that thing into the net. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just chaos, but it's chaos in a pure form of delight. And I mean, I would kind of consider a surprise release of 2023 because I didn't know anything about it until we had played it. Apparently it's been out. And Evan said it's been out on Steam for a little while. Is that right? Yeah, it's just it popped hmm. up in Game Pass one night, and we were finishing up with like Call of Duty or something. Like, oh, let's let's try this out. Let's see what happens. And uh, I mean, that that's kind of the idea of Game Pass, right? Is to just kind of give you that yeah. thing of you know what? Let's try it. Let's see what happens. It's kind of that perfect Game Pass game, mm -hmm. not in the sense that it's a low quality game, but it was just that game of well, let's try it out, see what it is, and then the game ended up delivering on the fun. And I think that speaks to that glory of game pass is that you play games that you otherwise may have never have discovered or played due to whether it's the price tag or just uncertainty if you would enjoy the game and game pass gave us a game that we will be playing for you know who, who knows how long yeah often well, i'll probably just play it and just you know have fun with it but yeah. it's a good game if you have some friends over or 
play online with with friends or if you're somebody who streams games honestly this would be a mm-hmm. fun game to watch people yell at each other over so it's, it's and yeah. and nate just want to point out sean made this point too it has eight player soccer <laughs> okay there is a oh. game that really annoyed me that did not have that called mario strikers but for some reason party animals figured it out they did Party animals figured out what Nintendo couldn't mm. or next level games couldn't. And they delivered a four V four eight player online soccer game when Mario strikers couldn't deliver and it. You can so swing the camera around while it's happening too. You can, I mean, you can do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Mm. I mean, definitely party animals. One Mario strikers switch zero. There it is. We also played, well, okay. We attempted to play payday three, uh payday three had some issues nate at launch it was not work there were two days where it just would not work so we didn't even experience the game before the podcast evan got into a couple of matches i think on the pc side and mvg did as well i never saw that thing launch until like yesterday (laughs) to play it and uh this this was a bad look for the studio behind this because how many babes did they run on this thing there's at least two, right? Uh, they did the closed beta that was available to Xbox insiders. And then they did the open public beta just about a month ago or so. A few It was a few weeks before release because I remember we had discussions about whether or not we would play it. And then we saw it was the same map and we decided, well, we don't need to play the same map again. We can wait for the full release. So they definitely had ample time to test things out with these betas. And it just launched in an absolutely dreadful state. Yeah, so the game was basically unplayable because it is always online and it always makes you matchmake even if you have a full party. It's very weird. So it, that mm. they need to figure that out for Payday 2, like how they had Payday 2 where you did have an offline mode. Uh, I, I don't know what happened here because you can't even do single player with... I mean, you can, but it has to, for some reason, authenticate it with the server to allow you to then play with three bots next to you. It's very weird stuff. Yeah, the implementation of the matchmaking here really doesn't make any sense. Because if I have a full lobby, I should be able to just load up the map and go into the game. I don't see why it has to contact the server for really any reason. Or if I'm playing solo with three bots, why are you? Why do you have to contact the server? You're not finding people for me to play with. It's not as though this is really an online game in the sense I'm competing against other individuals. So the implementation that they have for matchmaking is really just nonsensical. And even though we have now played, what, about a handful of matches, Mm -hmm. and maybe it's, you know, hyperbolic to say, but I feel as though this game launched in early access. Yeah, there's there's not as much there. I mean, Payday 2 had quite a bit more content than this, and Payday 2 took years to get to that point. So I figured they would have been like, okay, this is a good game that we now have here. It's dated, but the core is good. People like that loop. Let's make that game again but make it better with that content and it's it's it doesn't have the content it's very weird yeah it doesn't have the content it's very bare bones at launch and i mean this is just a very odd release and again it feels as though it's early access and you know if you're starbreeze this really isn't a good first impression and i wonder how many people have already jumped off the game and won't be coming back because that first few days is where the impact is felt if you bought the game, even if you tried it on Game Pass, you try the game for three days and you get no results of being able to find a match. 
you're moving on. There's way too much competition on the market right now for you to wait around days or weeks to be able to play a game just competently. So you kind of have to wonder if you're Microsoft, are you viewing this and saying, hey, Starbreeze, we made a Game Pass deal. And ideally, there must be something in that contract that's about engagement in terms of users or hours spent. And then you get that you know, maximum payout. Otherwise, if I'm Microsoft, I would reserve the right that if you can't launch your game in a working state day one, that we reserve the right to kind of renegotiate the amount of money that we gave you to be on the service. Because there's a good chance now that there's going to be a sizable percentage of people who are not coming back to payday three. And if I'm Microsoft, why am I going to give you that full amount to be on Game Pass when everyone's moved on because you couldn't launch your game in a workable state? Yeah, and because that's going to... I mean, people will download it on Game Pass and they'll think of it as, oh, this game's broken on Game Pass specifically. And that if I'm Microsoft, that, that kind of that kind of affects the image of the service a bit too there. Launching this game, hype it. I mean, they released the... They put the press release out for it. They advertised it. And it's like, oh, the game doesn't work. Yeah, it's like... We paid for your game to be on our service. We helped market your game as it was being on the service day and date, and your game doesn't work. And it's not the fault of Game Pass. It's not as though Microsoft had any involvement in this beyond just coming up with a contract and putting the game on the service. But yeah, you're right. It, some individuals may have that takeaway of, oh, this makes Game, pa game Pass look bad, where it really should be, no, this is Starbreeze and Payday 3's fault. Microsoft had nothing to do with it. And... You know, moving forward, you kind of have to wonder if Microsoft's going to look at maybe these always online games coming from external partners and kind of approach with a little more caution of how much are we going to offer you to put it on Game Pass? Can you ensure us that your game is going to be functional on launch day? Because we saw what happened with Payday 3. So we're we kind of have to take your word on this or we're not going to make a deal. And there's been other games that have launched with some minor issues, but nothing on this scale. Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre had a few issues on launch day, but nothing nothing compared to what Payday 3 no. is still suffering from. Is There's a lot of discussion around it online too, so it's uh, not, not, not a great look. I'd like to have more of an opinion on the game, but I've played like three matches, and one of yeah. them we died, so... <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we really haven't played enough to form a a solid opinion on the game yet, but we have played another game on Game Pass that we can form an opinion yes, on. Yes, this is this is the good game that released on Game Pass that actually worked. That's Lies <laughs> of P. So I looked, Nate, just to just double check before I got on here to see how much time it said I played. It says I've played just shy of nine hours. Okay. That's what it says anyway. And then like the little menu thing mm -hmm. it gives you. It's like eight and like fifty-seven or something like that. So I'm right there. You're a bit ahead of me, though, because you beat the boss that I think is in front of me right now. Yes. And yes, okay. So uh, I, I do like the game. It does feel like they, they played Bloodborne. They're really big fans of Bloodborne, and they were like, let's make Bloodborne. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when you turn the game on and you go into like the first area, it looks like it's straight out of that game, out of Bloodborne. So yeah. aesthetically yeah. speaking, if you like Bloodborne, you'll probably like this. Yeah, it has that Victorian era England look to it, and it's rainy, it's dark, it's gloomy. It does have that Bloodborne feel. I'm almost still waiting to see a uh, a plague mask walking around on an enemy. I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, it definitely has Bloodborne vibes to it. And I would say this is one of the best 
non-FromSoft developed Souls-like games that I've played. Yes, that's that's the thing that my takeaway is if if I didn't know better, I would look at this and go, wow, okay, FromSoft made something really interesting here. Because it does have that that feel to it, which it's not easy necessarily to get that. Like you can make a Souls game, but it won't Souls like, but it won't feel like FromSoft made it. It's it's kind of hard to describe necessarily. Yeah, you got like the Neo games and such. Yeah. So this one though, in particular, is is very very close, and I do like the uh, I guess the setup for it, the the lore that they're tapping into here, making that darker Pino- that take on Pinocchio, and the interesting thing because it's it's Liza P. And I'm sure people wonder about the title. It's like, that's weird. Well, in this in the universe that they've drawn out, puppets can't lie necessarily. But you are a different kind of puppet and you can lie. So, like, <laughs> or right in the beginning, they have you tell a lie. And it's like the, the person you're talking to just believes you immediately. Because, like, well, puppets can't lie. And you keep doing that kind of stuff as you go through. So the idea is you can just lie in this universe, even though you're technically, like, part puppet. Yeah, as you as you lie and you do certain upgrades, your coils will whine, and it almost feels as though perhaps your puppet is becoming more human. Oh, that's which kind of goes into the story of Pinocchio. Yeah, huh? So I'm curious how the narrative is going to play out. I think I'm just shy of around fifty percent through the game right now, but overall, I really enjoy the direction that they've taken here. As you mentioned, the aesthetic is very pleasing. The soundtrack is phenomenal. The voice acting is solid. And I really like the arm mechanic, the puppet arm mechanic, where you can you can equip different types of arms. You can have like a hook shot. You can shoot fire. You can have electric bursts. I have electric bursts, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right now I shoot fire. Oh, nice. And, you know, you do that elemental damage. So if I'm fighting puppets and I use the fire, they kind of die quicker because they're made of wood. So naturally, you know, you're going to burn. But it also depends the puppet type, because if you're more of a robotic puppet, you want to go with that electrical burst because that will damage them even greater. So I like that mechanic that they introduced there. And overall, I think they really designed a well-versed game here. It doesn't hit the highs or the fine tuning that you would get from a FromSoft game. There are some balance issues here and there. And I wish the parry window was a little bit wider than what it has. It feels extremely tight. The parry is kind of weird, though, because I think people, when they think of parry and you hit it just right, that it deflects and knocks the enemy backwards. In this Uh case, though, if you block, you still get chip damage, but it's not as much as if you didn't block. And when you parry, you don't get that damage is the idea. But you don't reflect reflect them backwards or nothing like that from what i've seen it's just oh you don't actually get hurt now because you timed it just right where that the parry is is satisfying in a game because you then knock the enemy backwards or you make them look uncomfortable is the idea and then you open up to an attack whereas here it's there the impact of getting hit is there but the impact of the parry isn't yeah the parry is primarily just to negate damage done to you except if the boss or the enemy in question is doing their rage attack Mm -hmm. and then if you perfectly parry that they will be stunned for a brief minute and then if you do a flurry of attacks you might open up a window that you can do a charged attack then come in to do a Mm -hmm. i think it's a like a fury attack i think the game calls it where you inflict massive damage to the enemy but yeah you kind of go in expecting to do that full-on deflection where the character is stunned for a few seconds and you can get some quick attacks in and that's not here So 
it does take a little time to adjust. But yeah, I'm, I think I'm about 18 hours into the game now because, well, I accidentally let the game run while I was on the phone and then I forgot I had the game <laughs> on for like three hours. So that that's not an accurate assessment of how long I've been playing, but it's really taken me in and I want to see the game through to the end. And I wasn't too sure about it going into it. Like we've seen the trailers. It looks like a very engaging and interesting idea, but the ambition is there. And if you're a Souls fan, there's definitely a lot of fun to be had here as long as you're willing to, you know, come to terms with the parry system, learn the in and outs where the game's not perfectly balanced and just don't go in expecting like a demon souls or even a dark souls because this kind of feels as though it's a mesh of bloodborne sekiro and a dark souls game yeah then i think i think that's a good good description for it but it it's on game pass which is great because more people can just try it out and uh, i i think visually speaking it's good it's on unreal engine and it captures that aesthetic that i I was hoping for from what we saw in the previews which is that darker take on pinocchio with uh, quite a bit of inspiration from Bloodborne, but if you are looking for, I guess, a new Souls game, but something maybe a little different in terms of the story they're telling, this I think this is it. So I fully recommend it. Like I said, it's in Game Pass. Check it out. It's Liza P. And I think those are those are all our topics for, for tonight, Nate, for Direct Xbox. Again, a big thank you to all the supporters over on the Spawncast Network. Make sure you go... Check that out there. You could be part of the network, submit questions and all kinds of different things there. And then enjoy a lot of the a lot of different podcasts and other content we're creating over on the on the Patreon. So for myself and Nate, we will see you guys next time.